Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, journalist Holly Rubenstein, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. While I hope that you're keeping safe and well this week, I think it's really beginning to feel quite festive, isn't it? I certainly felt the Christmassy feeling when I was up in the Lake District earlier this week. I was there for a few days in Cumbria. We stayed near to Lake Windermere, which is the biggest of the lakes in the Lake District. And I mean, I'd heard so much about the Lake District and we talk about it on episode one with Stanley Tucci because he filmed a film up there and he was telling me how amazing it is. I'd been there when I was little, but I couldn't really remember it. And just taking the car ferry across the lake and exploring the majestic landscapes, some of the best roads we've ever driven, the vistas of the mountains were just amazing. Ambleside, Coniston Water, that kind of area is where we were. And it was a perfect place for um, a long weekend and if you're based in London we found it really easy to get to on the train and then we hired a car upgrading to an automatic best decision that we probably made that weekend those roads are quite hair raising but you know that's so you can get those amazing views right and then we were able to go back to a real sanctuary after a day's exploring the Gilpin Hotel and Spa who I'm writing an article about it was just the most beautiful hotel. We stayed in one of their spa suites based in the grounds of the hotel. And what really sets them apart is they have their own spa treatment room with um, a sauna, a steam room, um, a Japanese massage chair, as well as an outside hot tub and a wild swimming pond. So I really, really felt that it was a restorative place to be based after a day out walking in the chilly winds of the Lake District. One downside is that you can't see Lake Windermere from there, but it is in a really beautiful rural setting. So that kind of makes up for it and it has two restaurants one is michelin starred actually but we actually enjoyed its more relaxed restaurant spice it will without question be added to my list of favorite meals i've had great atmosphere these incredible asian fusion inspired small plates and um, if you're in the area not necessarily staying at the hotel but if you're in the area book a seat at the chef's table there it's a great experience and a couple of other things before we get started if you'd like to read more about my travel memories and recommendations i was interviewed this week by sheer lux one of my favorite online magazines for their my life in travel feature and i filled it jam-packed with all my uh, recommendations so do check that out and as we're in the run-up to christmas less than a month ago uh, the last uh, couple of weeks i'm publishing christmas gift guides on my instagram at holly rubenstein so if you're looking for inspiration for in particular for travel lovers for gift ideas then have a scroll and let me know what you think Okay, on to today's guest. Today I'm joined by the much-loved comedian, musician and actor Bill Bailey. Known for his hugely inventive stand-up, he's of course such a familiar face on our TV screens too, spending several years as team captain on the long-running music and comedy panel show Nevermind the Buzzcocks, making regular appearances on shows like QI and Have I Got News For You, and most recently being crowned the champion of Strictly Come Dancing with partner Oti Mabuse 
last year. Bill kicks off his travel diaries having just returned from an incredible sounding trip to Iceland. So he tells us all about that. He shares his love of Indonesia where he spontaneously eloped with his wife many years ago and they travel back most years. As a gigging comedian, he has discovered every corner of the UK. So he reveals some British hidden gems that could be on your doorstep. And he shares his tips for Strictly this year. He's been tuning in too. Bill joins me from his West London family home, which he shares with a menagerie of pets, including five rescue dogs, a cat, a parrot, a snake, ducks and hens, which you will occasionally hear laying an egg in the background. This is a really fun one. So let's get started. Bill Bailey, welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. So exciting. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah. It looks like you're just back from a pretty epic looking trip to Iceland, was it? Yes, that's right. It was um, wonderful. Uh, I've, um, I've been to Iceland a few times performing and also I went there for a week with my son um, a few years ago and we did a lot of you know, activities around Reykjavik. We went, um, we descended into a uh, the, the cone of an extinct volcano. That was pretty amazing. Oh, wow, yeah. And, uh, you know, you sort of see all the, you know, the interior of it and the, the magma chamber and all that was amazing. And then um, we went uh, snorkeling in a glacial fissure, which I've got to say was quite, uh, not for the faint-hearted, put it that way. It was... Um, Quite cold, a little bit nippy. Yeah, were so you, you wearing to... full body wetsuits? Well, we were actually wearing dry suits, dry which suits, are, yeah. you know, so so you can wear your own clothes underneath because they, as the name suggests, you stay dry. And it there's a sort of waterproof seal at the neck at the wrists, so you can wear jeans and thermals and all the rest of it. So the only disadvantage of that, of course, is quite bulky, and you tend to sort of you know, clump along in a rather ungainly manner. But yeah. in the water, uh, of course, you're afforded a lot of warmth and protection. I mean, the water is like one degree, mm. two degrees. But the view is unbelievable, this crystal clear water. Um, you get about 100 metres of, um, of visibility. And it's, uh, it's on the line of two tectonic plates. So it's quite a sort of an amazing surreal landscape anyway but uh, is there marine life that you're spotting while you're there or is it more about just like the magnitude of the geology yes it's very much that yes there's very there's not really much in the way of um of wildlife not not much can survive in that but uh what you get is this sense of surreal wonder at the fact that you are suspended in this beautiful clear crystal clear blue water which you can see in every direction and there's a kind of sense of weightlessness uh, if you if you dive down it looks like you're just floating you know it's in in air this doesn't you're not aware of the water it's a uh. kind of it's almost like you're flying through it it's it's amazing it's unlike anywhere i've ever been but it was that, that was that was good fun but this this latest time we went up north to the Akueri with the second city and oh, uh, wow. uh, which is which is quite different much more sort of um, mountainous and glaciers and lakes and such like it's a beautiful country i love it yeah it is a beautiful country and really like nowhere else on the planet no no that's right it is it's 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 kind of unique really in all the places i've been the, you know, and the, this, the people are very friendly. This, and there's so it's it's almost like tourism there is starting to kind. Of, it's still quite new, really, in terms of the, you know, in the in the global 
tourism trade. It's still there's lots of new uh, operations are being sort of set up, and you know you can go husky sledding, which is what we did. We, we you can go and see the Northern Lights. There's a, an amazing place, um, the Bubble Hotel, which we went to, which was just literally the rooms are just uh, inflatable clear plastic oh, bubbles that's so cool i think i've seen those on instagram and like yeah. so you just have this un- uninterrupted view of the like the sky of the sky yeah exactly so the idea is you know you lie down on the and you just look up at the night sky and you see the stars and the northern lights did you see the northern lights were you able to see it this time? we did yeah oh, yes amazing. we did that's so yeah cool. it was pretty cool uh i've seen them a few times in different places norway and and up in the north of scotland actually um really but, uh yeah they just they, they turned up one, in fact, when we were near the Bubble Hotel, we, we sort of like, oh, you know, one of the guides, our Icelandic guides, just sort of casually said, "Oh, yeah, the, the Northern Lights are," uh, you know, <laughs> they're so sort of so blasé because they sort of see them all the time. They go, "Yeah, yeah, the Northern Lights are up," you know. We were like, "Ah, wow!" We were all kind of going crazy over it. And, then, and the thing was, when we were there, the moon was so bright. It, when you're taking pictures, because of course you need a long exposure to take to take the northern lights, you need like a sort of seven eight exposure. It, 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 it sort of the moonlight was sort of bleached into all these photographs as well. So it looks like the northern lights are happening in the day. I, got, I mean, I looked at these <laughs> photographs; it's the most surreal sight. So um, I saw the northern lights yeah. in in Iceland as well. It's the only place I've seen them, and I remember right. that we went like we were kind of obsessed like if you're going there with that in mind we were we were looking yeah. at the app you know that tells you if it's going to be a good yes. day or a bad day um uh, going out in our pajamas like spontaneously at one in the morning on the off chance that they might appear and then on the very last night they started dancing across the sky i don't think quite as epic as they look it like it looks in the photos but i think if you take it with a long exposure it actually mm. does also kind of exaggerate what it is that you're seeing as well but it is just something like it's such a bucket list experience isn't it oh Totally, yeah, it really is. It's something which you are struck by the sense of this, uh, you know, almost this magnificent display of of nature, which is just happening regardless of whether you're there or not. It's just this this phenomenon that you are, and you and you. It's quite humbling in many ways, mm. and it's so awe inspiring. It's like the most beautiful light display that you've ever seen, and yet it just it just happens there for yeah. you know. Uh, as part of a, just a natural phenomenon, but yeah, you're right. If you take a picture of it, you can see that the way that the the kind of you can see it more of as a wind. Yes. And you know, if you just if you if you look at it and, and it's just there in the sky, you're not quite aware of the fact that it's moving. But when you you take a series of pictures, then you get the sense of it. It flows. You know, it looks. It looks sometimes it looks like a banner that's sort of fluttering in the wind. Totally, totally. And really what I realized is that I didn't need to take the photo, that I just needed to be be present in the moment and enjoy it for what it was. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we are going to go then on a journey through the seven chapters of your life's travel diaries, Bill. Yes. Uh, We're going to start first at the very beginning. Chapter one is your earliest childhood travel memory. Yes. Well, this would be, most probably would be Western Supermare because um, I remember going there as a child with my family and this was the kind of our nearest go-to beach. And so, you know, it was a family day out. We would get in the car, uh, all the whole family, me, my mum, my dad, 
and there would be my grandparents as well would come with us and so we would all pile into this car and we would drive to West Zimmer because that was the beach that was the nearest beach and um and it's a beautiful I, I, I beach just, isn't it it is it's amazing it's a it's a huge vast expanse of sand which as a kid obviously is just is brilliant you know you just run around you'd kick a ball you could dig sand castles it just goes on and on and on forever uh and there at the time when I was going, well, there was a well, there was a pier. I mean, it's classic sort of British seaside resort. There's a pier. You can get candy floss. You can get a toffee apple. You can get a bit of fish and chips. You know, it's just absolutely. It was it was a vast sort of landscape, which I, I just remember looking out and somebody saying, "Oh, there's the sea." Like you know, there in the distance. You know, like and uh, it was. Um, but it's not like any beach that I know in Britain. You know, it's quite different from a lot of beaches because it's so big. Um, but yeah, so that was so that was that left a, a very deep impression on me. How far was that from where you grew up then? Not far. I mean, I grew up um, between Bath and Bristol in a place called Kencham, which is um, a little town. Uh, yeah, so I guess halfway between the two, and. Um, it's quite a sort of you know rural area. There's lots of you know country lanes and quaint little villages around there, which I used to explore on my bike. Uh, and I guess the, the whole area, the you know the Mendip Hills, Somerset, the Somerset Levels, all around there, it's a rather beautiful countryside. Yeah, it's a really picturesque area to grow up. It in. It is, yeah, very much so. Yeah, and Bath, of course, is a beautiful old city. Yep, uh, where I went to school. So Did yeah, there was. I was right, surrounded right. by countryside. It was. It was amazing growing up there because. You know, of course, now I appreciate it even more. But at the time, it was just like that's where you went to school, yeah. and you know, we'd get the bus down into town, you know, and you know, go to a t- go to a cafe, have a cup of tea. But of course, I realised now it was we were surrounded by it, and you just become used to it. But I absolutely love it now. I go back there, and you know, I was there the other day, and you just took my dad out for dinner, and we were just you know walking along Victoria Park through Victoria Park on a on a sort of warm evening, went to the circus, the Royal Crescent. You know, it's just, it's it's a beautiful city. Really is stunning. Really is. One for anyone who lives in the UK, if they're trying to discover some places that are on their doorstep, yeah. if they've not been, they have to go, right? Oh, definitely. So you were you were talking about going there to, that's where you went to school. Highly, yes. highly academic at school, multi-talented, uh, but you went to university and, and you didn't last there very long. You you dropped out. And, and did you then go traveling? Was it to go traveling? Yes. Um, basically, uh, I was spent about, you know, I, I was supposed to do a, a course in English and drama. And the English part was at Westfield College in London University. And the drama was at Central. And I sort of, I really very quickly really realized very early on, <laughs> you know, this wasn't for me, and I wanted to get out, and I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to work, find work, get a job. Just you know, I was I was a kind of in a bit of a hurry. I guess I was too restless. I was too impatient. And I now look back and think, well, three years just goes by in a in a flash these days. But then it seemed a, a, an age that was spreading out in front of me. So I was impatient to get out there and do things and work and so with the reckless impetuosity of youth I left 
And then I spent, uh, I did spend a while traveling. I drove, we got, I had a little car, uh, a little Citroen, one of those Dianes, mm-hmm. which was like the kind of classic yeah. little sort of almost, you know, handmade car held together with, you know, safety pins. <laughs> yeah. It's literally just held together with pins. I mean, you could take the thing apart in a second. So um, we, we, the four of us drove down, we drove all through France, down to the south of France and sort of drove around there. And it was, that was an amazing trip and all the way down to Italy in the, in the end. Um, did you, so, um, did I mean, cause your, your dad is, was a doctor and your mum also was uh, in the medical profession. And, and, you know, I guess that's mm. like quite a traditional, you know, path. So, given how talented you were across the board were they kind of freaked out by your um you know taking your own path well I think they were concerned yes certainly I mean I think that they were really just worried that I would be able to find something that I liked doing and that I would be happy doing and that would be productive but they were very supportive and uh, they they I think they realized that uh, it was something that I wanted to do and needed to do. So they were very, they were, they were sort of understanding of it. And I think what happened was after I did, did a bit of traveling and all that, I did actually then go and do a, um, a technical course in stage management and understanding equipment. And so it was, that was actually very, very useful uh, as it turned out in the coming years, yeah. allowing me to be able to sort of do gigs and understand how to set up equipment and guitars like producer and amplifiers and do my own stuff yeah. exactly yeah yeah and so how when or when or how did comedy did the comedy start for you i think the comedy real i mean it started when i was at school really really I mean, um yeah there was yeah there was us me and a bunch of mates from school would put on a school review an end of term review where we just sort of you know, write daft sketches and make fun of the teachers. And, you know, that was basically the sort of, it's like a roast, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and then we'd, um, and then after that, me and a mate from school, we'd sort of we'd sit around and record our own just daft ramblings, really, you know, uh, make up sort of sketches. We'd do songs. And then actually I persuaded the owner of a club in Bath to put on a comedy club there. And he, they never had comedy on there. It was a kind of, it was just like a nightclub. And he said, "Oh, all right, we'll see how it goes." And that was the very, that was the beginning of it all, really. And I was, I guess, I was eighteen and nineteen, and really young then. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, we put on this show. We didn't know what we were doing. I mean, it was probably a shambles, but uh, we sort of there was something about it. There was something in it. There was like a spark in it where the audience. And us were as one, mm-hmm. just for a few moments, and it, that's all it takes. And you realise, ah, that's it. That's ah, that's how that's how it should be. And then you know, and that was it. And then once you get that, once it's like, it's like touching the live wire. You, you know, Intoxicating. You get kind of, yeah, it is. It's intoxicating. And then you realise that's it. I'm hooked. So that was the kind of this is this is it moment. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, we, we then set up a regular club and we, it was like a, um, a basically a sort of a gong show, really. You know, so we actually did have a gong and local acts would come on and then, you know, try out their stuff. And then the audience would say, yeah, you'll know. And then, you know, they'd be gonged off. It was, oh, that sounds so fun. I wish I was at quite brutal, I guess. <laughs> it was very, 
<laughs> gladiatorial, you know. Yeah. And uh, and that sort of that that was great fun, a great learning experience. And um, we did that for a while, and we got to meet lots of comics. And in fact, because there was very little in the way of comedy clubs then around the country, people would come up from London. People would come from all around. You know, it wasn't just Bath. They'd come from other cities and out in the country. Some people would come up from London just to get a gig. And so it was really at the kind of real birth of that, of the comedy scene in Britain. How exciting that you're at the forefront yeah. of it. Yeah, it was um, was great fun. So let's pause there for a second and move on to chapter two, which is the first place that you fell in love with. Ah, well, when I got a bit of, when I was a bit older as a as a child, we would go on holidays to South Wales, and so it wasn't just this sort of vague notion of of a place that had a beach and you know that I was it was a definite destination and when I was got a bit older me and my older cousins um so my my uncles and aunts and extended family we would all go to a place called Saundersfoot in Mm -hmm. South Wales Mm -hmm. and it was the place where my grandfather was from so there was a strong family connection there and we were just we I remember we stayed in a caravan the old mob of us, great horde of us. And uh, it was just like idyllic. I just remember endless days of like running around the campsite, going to the beach, running into, running into the caravan, getting a cold drink, running out again. And we'd go shrimping in pools. We'd go swimming in the sea. It was just, it was that time when, you know, when, when you're a kid and you get a bit older and you, and we're, well, you know, you hear, well, where are we going on holiday? Are we going there? Oh, brilliant. You know, and yeah. it was just, it was like that sort of endless summer of, of uh, the summer holiday. And that's what I associate with. And I loved it. And um, I, I'm, I've been back once or twice since, but um, I just remember the sort of, I remember walking through a coastal path on the, through a wood and it was filled with wild garlic mm. and the, just the, Smell was just overpowering. Sitting on the beach, sitting in the car in the rain, because <laughs> there'd been some rainy days too. Yeah, there would have been rainy days. Yeah, uh, eating bag of chips in the in a hot car with the condensation. Um, <laughs> oh just, yeah, that's such a that's yeah. such a vivid memory. Yeah, it's very pretty. I mean, it's like um, there's little coves and beaches, and there's sort of you know cliff top walks. Some of them are more open, so you sort of, you know, you have like gorse and open coast, or you've got these, as I say, these little wooded areas and mm. little paths running through it, and little fishing towns. And now, um, you know, I remember Saundersfoot Harbour. It was this beautiful harbour, and my grandfather telling me that when he was a kid, his father, that's where he taught him to swim, and he mm. would say, "Right, this is how you're going to swim," and he go, "Go on, lad," and he would just chuck him in again. And I remember also you're seeing a basking shark swimming around there as well. Yeah. But yes, it's, it's I've got a, a lot of great fondness for it. And uh, in fact, when I was when I started working as a comic, I remember I, I recorded one of my shows in Swansea, and I used to love going down there, the Mumbles and sort of West Wales. It's just uh, it's very pretty. Um, and uh, so yeah, got very fond memories of that. So these kind of early shows developed into this combination of making people laugh and making music that your yeah. your signature um style of comedy which everyone has grown to you know love and adore so what made you marry those two things 
I think the fact that um, I love both of them equally. I mean, when I was a kid, I learned a lot of instruments. I I had an affinity to the piano, so I, I I got piano lessons. I taught myself the guitar, and I thought that was what I was going to do. I thought music was going to be my life, and that's where I would end up in some form or other, because I'm re- teaching or playing or whatever. And then I and I realized um, I loved listening to comedy albums. My cousin had a lot of albums by Monty Python, and my dad was a big fan of the Goons. And so we'd I'd always hear comedy on the either on the radio or on an album or a vinyl record. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that I loved the the way that that it, it just somehow it tickled your mind. You know, it sort of it it is something about it which you just you want to hear more of. You want to hear like lateral thinking. You want to hear the other views of, of you know, and also basically, you know, grown-ups being silly when you're a kid is just a, hilarious. You know, you, you want to get more of it. And so I guess it's the, the fact that I realise I love the spoken word as much as music. And so that's why I guess I wanted to marry the two because I think that, um, and I've, I'm very fortunate in as much that I've been able to, to, to kind of use both of those things in, in what I do. And you, as well as playing like the the more conventional instruments like piano or guitar in your sets, you play a lot of, you know, weird and wonderful, wacky instruments as well. You're about yes. to, you know, set back out on tour. Uh, are there going to be some new instruments added to the show this time? Yeah, well, I've um, uh, I've got a few, uh, <laughs> a few things that I've picked up. I've actually got this thing here. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, a Viking blowing horn, which I, I, I've picked up, um, and it's um, it's <laughs> what the big actually, cone? The yeah, I'll show you actually. I mean, I'll, I'll get it out for you. Hang on a sec. Oh, there you go. That's the sort of thing. You know, I don't think you can see that. Um, oh it's my god! It's basically so uh, it's a huge like a tusk. It looks like it is. It's it's the it's um it's uh it's actually the horn from a cow. Oh, so it's wow. uh it's actually yeah it's an it's an old one and um it's a beautiful thing polished and it makes this lovely sound. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> well, I'm practicing it, yet, but um, it's called a, well it's called a nyal horn, which is a blowing horn, and it was used to sort of you know like communicate over long distances. Yeah, I'll be trying to incorporate that. So, speaking of falling in love, this chapter, a kind of a whole a whole new swathe of people fell in love with you um, last year when you were taking part in Strictly mm. Come Dancing, of which you rushed your way to victory there. I mean, it was like almost a foregone conclusion, I think, from about halfway through that mm. that this was going to happen. Now it's obviously on again. Are you are you watching this season? Yes. Oh, yes, very much so. And I'm uh, enjoying it. I think it's very, uh, the standard is very, very high this year. Isn't There's some it? brilliant dancers. Yeah. People are just turning in these terrific performances. There's these um, and wonderful partnerships. And now is the kind of time in the in the competition where the standard it's get, I mean it's getting a lot tougher for everyone as I as I knew from my own experience because what's happening is that people are now really starting to get it. They're really starting to kind of understand it and, and how to do the dances. But not only that, the partnerships are really kind of blossoming you know they're they're really gelling and so there's this wonderful chemistry between people as they get more confident and they're able to turn in great better performances so it's fascinating to watch so who are you uh who are you tipping who are you thinking i mean 
get I don't know. It's difficult to say at this stage. I mean, the standard is so good. I think that in terms of the partnerships, um, John and Johannes uh, have got this wonderful partnership. Oh, so good, uh, uh, AJ and Kai and uh, and Rose and Giovanni. I mean, those are the ones at the moment yeah. seem to be that leap out of me as the front runners. But who? Who will eventually win? It's I mean, it's difficult to say, really. Um, it, they, they're all. Isn't it incredible though, Rose, to to be turning in those kind of well, performances and not being I think able to hear that, the music? It's just I think so, and I think that actually, of all of them, you know, I mean, she's such a she's a, she's a terrific dancer. She's got great natural talent, but I think what mm. what she brings to it is this sort of there's a. A, a kind of strength and a vulnerability, which has both of those things are, are, are sort of essential to dance, I think. And uh, and I think that what she's managed to do, and it's amazing. I was talking to her the other night, we're doing a TV show, and um, she was saying she has to count all the beats. So they start the routine, and then she has to count in her head all the steps, I mean, which is amazing. So... It's just incredible. It's a, I guess for people who don't watch Strictly, we're talking about one of the contestants, Rose, who is yes. deaf and yet is what is one of the best dancers in the mix That's at the right. moment. C- counting in her head the whole way yeah. through. It must require so much additional concentration. Yes, I think so. And and also, you know, just be able to do that. And, you know, the thing about which I learned very quickly was that, you know, you have to perform these dances. You have to really inhabit it you know you have to sell it you have to really give it uh, so much drama and performance because they're quite short I mean the routines are quite short they're quite short and intense and you have to you know you can't waste a second you can't waste a beat and you have to dance every single beat you know I you see and I and I'm now just with the little that I know I'm able to identify the better performances from the ones that aren't quite so good because I know myself having been in that situation there's times when you're thinking where am I where what am I do- where are we on there what is this bit I don't know this bit ah! and you sort of tend to kind of panic a bit and you know and you start looking down at your feet and you're like looking at your partner going Whoa! you know and you have to try and stop that you have to get over that you have to kind of sail through it and just you know perform it with great confidence and then you can actually cover up a lot of mistakes you know what I mean you can sort of you, you yeah. can sort of <laughs> yeah. get away with a few little missteps if you've you know performed it with uh with with you know with great drama conviction and conviction yeah. yes absolutely so so Bill just as a side note here I'd read that you live basically with a menagerie of animals what are we now hearing in the background oh <laughs> these there's chickens? chickens yes yeah, they're quite loud. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> what are they they're doing? Hens. Are they being fed? Yeah, no, that's right. Heads? Yeah, they're hens. I think now one of them's laying an egg. That's what that's all about. <laughs> I'll kind of, I'll close the door. Okay, Hold guys. On. There we go. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> bye, <Yeah>. heads. <laughs> well, so speaking of, of of strictly, then I wanted to ask you. Of all the dances that you learnt, which would you like to dance in its home country? Oh, um, I think, I, I mean, very much it'd be the tango in Argentina, ah. um, because it's such a it's such a lovely dance. 
it's um it's a little softer and more sensual than the the regular ballroom tango which is very much it's quite sort of angular and fierce and there's lots of you know fast head movements the argentine is a little softer it's a little bit more in hold it's a bit more romantic and there's all these wonderful sort of leg hooks the ganchos where your sort of legs intertwine with your mm. partner and i've seen when i was in the sh- when i was doing the show when we when i knew we were going to be doing the argentine i was like researched it a lot watched a lot of it and if you look you don't doesn't take much and you realize in buenos aires um, people dance the argentine tango in the street they're busking it like buskers you know like we would see here on the tube playing you know the violin or the guitar in 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 Buenos Aires, there's people just dancing the tango, and you know they sort of put a hat, and then they'll just set up a dance floor and do a bit of tango, and people go, oh great, and then put some money in a hat. I mean that's just it's wonderful. It's so part of the culture there. But what fascinates me about it is that you know it was how it began, which was like in the 1840s when there was this huge wave of migration from um, Northern Europe to South America. It was this sort of seen as this land of opportunity. And it was just thousands and thousands, mainly men, who were flocked to places like Buenos Aires looking for work. It was this new, there was, you know, encouragement, people to come there. It was a new country. They wanted they wanted people to come and help build the country. And, of course, you know, at night there was nothing for them to do, so they started dancing. And there was all these different influences from Europe. There was, you know, it was the polka. There was that, that you know, that came over. Um, there was, you know, waltz, there were waltz, the polka, all these European dances sort of melded with all of these, the South American influence and created this extremely wonderful sort of, you know, sensual dance, which actually was danced with men. Men would dance with other men. That was perfectly common. And uh, just so to go there and dance it in the street, I would love that. I'd love to see it. Yeah. New series? Let's do it. Bill Bailey goes around the world dancing the local dances. Yep, I think so. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Yep. I, right, I, I, I'm That's there. Ready. I'll, I'll, help. I'll come with you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from 
all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travelers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. So chapter three is the place where you learn the most about yourself. Yes. Uh, well, now this, actually, I did think about this for a while. And I, I, I was interesting that that brief, you know, the mo- where you learn about yourself, because these are not necessarily good experiences, I don't think. No, yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I think that actually sometimes when you find yourself traveling and things don't go well it's how you deal with them that then you know these experiences are character forming and you find a bit of resilience and and I think the the one that really stands out for me was when I uh I went I traveled to meet some friends in France for a holiday and a bunch of school friends and other people and we camped and we went all around France and then they all left and I stayed on on my own because I wanted. I had another week of holiday, so I went busking uh, in the south of France, and I sort of camped, and and then I ended up um, uh, in Marseille, and I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why I ended up there. I think it's because my train home was from Marseille, and so I I arrived there. Yeah. And I didn't know the city, and I don't know if you've been to Marseille, but it can be, it's quite intimidating. It's quite a gritty sort of, you know, um, port city. It gives off an atmosphere of, it's quite sort of, you know, uh, you have to be street street savvy. And I ended up in this, I didn't know what I was doing. I got on a bus, and of course I didn't, are you supposed to buy a ticket before you get on the bus? And I just got on the bus, and then the then a cop came over and basically I thought I was going to be arrested, and he's like, no, oh. no, you have, to, you have to buy this ticket. They're all right, okay. And then I ended up with my backpack and my guitar at a campsite, and I thought, well, where do I camp? And I was at the Camping Municipal, right? And... and- <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been to Camping Municipal. It is not the most luxurious of all campsites. <laughs> the person, it was in this, it was in the town. It was in Marseille, in the the sort of urban environment. So there's no grass; it's gravel. So that, that literally, you had to sort of bang your tent pegs into gravel, and oh it was so grim. And I didn't have a hammer. Because I've been camping in sites where, you know, you just push the tent pegs into soft earth. That's fine. So I remember it was cold and, and it was it, uh, it was drizzling and I was trying to get the flapping tent up and I couldn't get the I couldn't get the tent pegs into the gravel. And I just I was always at my wit's end. You know what I mean? I was like, I think I might just you know what I mean? You just want to sit down and just cry and just think, yeah. oh, to hell with it. Yeah. And uh, and a French uh, um, guy came over. And I always remember he said he said to me, "Vous n'avez pas de marteau," you know, which is you don't have a you don't have a hammer. 
You know, so you don't have a mallet. Like, you know, you came, you're English. You don't come prepared. And I went, you don't have a mallet? And I went, no, no. And I was like, like slightly tearful. No, no. And he went, oh, you can have mine. And then he lent me this mallet and I managed to get the tent up. And I sort of like pulled it together and and I realised, yeah, that was a pretty, I was a long way, you know, I was was still young. I was only like 18 or something, you know, and I was a little bit sort of homesick, away from home, on my own, wasn't prepared. I was sort of low. And yet somehow you find the resolve to kind of get up in the morning, pack the tent away, get in the bag, get on the train, you know. And it was like a real moment of like, yeah, I, I got through that. Yeah. And uh, and it, it sort of gives you an enormous amount of confidence. Yeah. And then I guess kind of from that point onwards, you've been traveling I imagine on your own quite a lot, like non-stop touring around the world. Your your fan base is very much global. Yeah. So you've seen so much of the world. Chapter four is your all-time favorite destination. Like when reflecting on all the places that you've been, which comes mm. to mind? I, well, I think it would have to be Indonesia because um, uh, somewhere that um, uh, we've traveled to, a lot over the years or sort of I mean nearly 25 years we've been traveling there now and um it's somewhere which uh I really sort of fell in love with um uh, when I went there with my wife uh well she we went married at the time we got married there so I guess that's why I have a sort of strong connection with the place and uh, the fact we've met lots of friends there we've um, spent a lot of time there we explored up and down the archipelago gone to the riddle the remote remotest parts the wildest parts, and it's just stunningly beautiful, incredibly varied. The people are so friendly. The, everything about it is, is a richness, a profusion. Uh, the food has become our sort of favourite cuisine, and some of the experiences we've had there have just been quite unique, you know, rafting and swollen rivers through forests, seeing incredible bird life, uh, spending the time at the tops of trees in canopies, watching you know flocks of cockatoos on the island of Seram, swimming with dolphins, seeing whales. I mean, climbing to the tops of mountains, seeing active volcanoes. I mean, it's just mm. uh, a place of, um, of 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 extremes many times, and uh, and a place of of great volatility. You know, it's on a, it's the ring of fire. You know, the the whole archipelago is on this sort of very geologically active um you know part of the world so there's there's you know there's a lot of uh as i say a lot of volcanoes but there's a lot of beautiful islands and lots of incredible change as well incredible diversity in terms of like how people look how the food is how the architecture is what the experiences you can have and it's um it's a it's quite chaotic as well <laughs> i mean it's you know it's a place you know if you if you like to keep to time and you've got a schedule then that, i wouldn't i wouldn't recommend it going there but if you want to go with the flow if you want to let life just take you along if you want to be immerse yourself in a completely different culture and and a, a different world really then then that's the place. A lot of people think Indonesia, they just think like Bali, right? So mm. b- you've explored way beyond Bali. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For ba- people who, who maybe want to, you know, get a, the, the, a, a taste of something beyond Bali, where would yes. you tell them to go? Oh, very much. I mean, I would say, you know, for, for us, when we go back now, we, we sometimes don't even 
go to Bali, we'll go to Jakarta first. And that's the kind of hub from where you can discover all sorts of other places. But yes, I mean, I would say not far from Bali, you have Komodo, uh, you have the islands of Nustingara, Flores, Sumbawa, Sumba. These islands are not so touristy, not so developed, but stunningly beautiful. I would say, you know, Sumatra. You know, Sumatra, huge, a vast island with incredible wildlife, um, amazing food, amazing people, history, wonderful temples. Mm. Um, and in fact, the island of Java as well is just uh, is, is stunningly beautiful as well. But yeah, I mean, there's Indonesian Borneo, Kalimantan, there's Sulawesi, which used to be Salibs, which has Gosh. these, um, you know, it's like Bali was like 40, 50 years ago, uh, huge amounts of um, uh, you know, agriculture in the mountains. So, like, you've got these, these terraced rice paddies. You've got these beautiful mountains, huge areas of national park, um, traditional the longhouses with these uh, amazing sort of lifted gables. And then, if you go further east, you get to places like Halmahera, which is again right out there, but amazing wildlife and uh, Ternate is the sort of center of the one of the centers of the spice trade. It's the sort of place where cinnamon was um, yeah. and clove was um, cultivated. And it has a sultan, you know. And then you go that further east to the eastern Balakas, which was the centre, the hub, the beating heart of the kind of the, the Dutch East Indies company where they, they sort of harvested spice, sent it back, and it was when spice was more valuable than gold. So there's remnants of the Portuguese and the Spanish and the British colonial legacy, little islands, tiny little gems, green gems, volcanoes, reefs, crystal clear water, people who are friendly, want to, they're delighted that you've showed up there. And then you go further east to Papua, West Papua, which is the Indonesian half of Papua New Guinea, which is, again, completely different. There's, you know, there's tribes still living in the, forests been living very traditionally there's again um huge unspoiled swathes of forest and uh so it's it's a it's my goodness I mean, what a lot to discover <laughs> there's a huge amount to discover yeah, yeah. barley's just a tiny tiny bit of it yeah oh wow that's really given me the uh the wanderlust this morning yeah. Well, you, you're talking about about gems. Um, chapter five is your hidden gem, a place that you really love that my listeners wouldn't know so much about. Where would you pick for that? Well, do you know what? I'm, I, I, I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, I walked up to Ivinghoe Beacon, which is um, near Tring in Hertfordshire, and I walked a section of the Ridgeway. And uh, it occurred to me that... Um, Whilst this is right in the heart of southern England, surrounded by towns and villages and, you know, um, very well-to-do, tidy you know, gardens and farms, it's not really that well-known. And people don't really realise how remote it is. And to me, it's, it is one of the hidden gems um, of, of Britain. Certainly, it's accessible for me because I live in London. But it's a national trail. It runs from Ivinghoe Beacon all the way down to Aylesbury. The, uh, Ave, Ave, sorry, Aylesbury um, it goes past Aylesbury. It goes to Avebury Stone Circle in Wiltshire. And it's about uh, 90 miles long. 90 miles. And it's, uh, I've walked it a couple of times now. And it's every time I get on it, I'm struck by how remote it feels. Like, you know, you're walking along 
you you don't you sometimes you don't see anyone. Sometimes you don't you know you don't hear traffic. Not you're not really under a flight path. You can't. There's no reminders of the modern world. You're just walking across you know chalk upland, and then you're in forest. It's it's absolutely stunning. As soon as you're looking at kestrels, red kite, deer incredible nights of butterflies still i still saw some butterflies this late on in the year yeah. wow. and uh it's the oldest road in britain uh no no, no not in not in britain in europe it's five thousand years old and it oh. used to run from lyme regis all the way to cromer in uh um in east anglia and it was a trade route it was a kind of um you know, it connected up, and and people used to they used to drive sheep along it. Roman centurions used to walk along it. Uh, it was um, a, a very significant kind of trade path that connected the south to the east coast. And there's sections of it, you know, the the Ridgeway, that the only surviving section is this one now. But it's it struck me yesterday. I thought this is this is a real gem, and yeah. I, and it's uh, it's right there. You know, yeah, on yeah, yeah. What a great hidden gem. Thank you so mm. much. I I really look forward to discovering that. Well, in mm. contrast to, to, to that, um, chapter six, the penultimate chapter, is your worst travel experience or the place that you would never go back to? Well, it's an interesting one because, um, again, I thought about this for a while. And actually, I'd have to say it was Barbados, right? And the, thing, the reason for that was... Um, that uh, it was, we needed somewhere. We wanted somewhere warm to go years ago when when our son was very little, and uh, we looked at all these different places and we thought, well, everyone goes to the Caribbean. We, we're not really that sort of people, we you know. We we prefer out of the way places, non touristy places. Mm-hmm. But you know, he was little. We only had a few days. You know, it's eight hours rather than long haul across the world. So we'll try that. And I've got to say. It was. It, I, I I just couldn't see it. I didn't understand. I don't understand why people go and rave about it. We couldn't find anything decent to eat. That was the first thing. You know, mm-hmm. we were sort of we were. There's tourists everywhere, and there's people like on deck chairs reading the Daily Telegraph. And I'm thinking, oh, no, this is not why I want <laughs> from getting away. I mean, he loved it. You know, and he was little. I mean, he was four or something. You know, so he liked going in the sea. It was warm. The sand was clean. That was fine. The beaches were nice. Great. That was from that level. It was fine. But from from us now, I think as you know, and he would be the same. You know, he'd say he wants somewhere where there's a bit of interest. I'd rather go somewhere where there was decent food or interesting, you know, thing. That we couldn't find any. We ended up going to a Chinese restaurant. No <laughs> so, way, really. Because all the food gets imported from America. Yeah. So it just get it just comes in and puts gets put in the freezer. And so uh, it does. It's you know, if you're if you're foodies, if you like the authentic stuff, which is just literally going to a, st- a street stall like in Ambon, say in Eastern Malacca's, and getting a bowl of rujak, which is fresh fruit and veg, um, carved up with peanut sauce and chili. That Oof. is the, one of the most delicious things I've ever eaten. Yeah, and I was craving that. You know, I was like, I want spice. I want taste spice. I want something like that, and I don't know. Perhaps we were going to the wrong places. Perhaps I'll give it another go one day, and, I, and perhaps I got. We just had a bad experience, but that was. You You're know, looking for more authenticity. Yeah, exactly. Are you a foodie? Very much so. Yes, yeah, and um, we love uh, you know 
all kinds of um, mainly Asian food. I got to say because we sort of we love Indonesia so much. So we like lots of Thai, Laotian, Cambodian, you know, Vietnamese. That sort of that's our go to favorite food. But oh no, I mean I love all sorts of stuff. I mean I, I mean I'm a big fan of tapas. I love to go mm-hmm. to Spain for that very reason. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so it's, it's, but I just like that way of eating. You know, just little small plates, picky bits. Yeah, exactly. So before we uh, wrap up your travel diaries, Bill, are there any other destinations that you'd like to give a shout out to? Any destinations? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I love Iceland. I mean, I talked about that um, being in Spain, but just before lockdown, I, I went there with um, uh, my son and my friend uh, Sean and his daughter, and we went and we went to a place in the Pyrenees we'd never been to before. Uh, Baquera, mm-hmm. uh, Baquera Beret, which was absolutely beautiful, and it was um, uh, the the people were very friendly. The food was great. It was a little bit of a hidden gem. It was one of those places that, that a lot of the Spanish people go to, but not many Brits. So I love that. Sitges, I very much love just outside Barcelona and Barcelona particularly as well. I love Spain. I did a gig there recently, and that was just before lockdown again, which was great hired bikes and we went all cycling around there and there's a wonderful place up in the north uh north of barcelona which i would definitely recommend if you want a, something a bit different it's a, a, a i think it's like an 11th century monastery in a place called biges y Riels, and it's like built into the cliff and it's it, it, you, you have to it's a kind of walk up through this valley to get to it it's like a kind of pilgrimage and you walk through orchards and you see rainbow bee eaters and uh, i mean it's uh, that was that was an amazing experience oh um, that sounds wonderful do yeah. you learn a lot about a destination by performing there yeah i think so yeah i mean i think that's uh, that's why i've always loved i mean i think i was you know one of the reasons i was will, will choose to perform in a place is because i want to know more about it i think you get a handle on a place you get to know lots of local people you get to know how a place works and gets how it ticks you get under the skin of a place a little bit with that mm. um a few years ago i i'd be asked to tour the highlands and islands of scotland because it's somewhere i'd not been to or spent much time but i wanted to really explore it and so i went all around shetland and orkney and the outer hebrides and you know um, sky and uist and you know Harris and Lewis and all those kind of places because I just wanted to I wanted to experience it and and by doing a show there then yes you have to get to know about it you have to know yeah. about ferry times and how you get from place A to B and you know what's the what goes on here what's the what's the what's the business how does you know what's the main source of income how do people make a living here you know and, and you you very quickly get a, a a kind of snapshot of a place very probably more in a way that you wouldn't do just if you were a tourist. Yeah, exactly. I, I like the idea of also picking where you're going to perform in terms of places that you want to to yes. discover. Yeah, yeah, that's quite absolutely, a luxury. Yeah. yeah. So thinking about that, then chapter seven is the destination at the top of your travel bucket list. Is that somewhere you're going to do a gig in the future, or <laughs> somewhere that you do a do a family holiday where where, um, where are you keen to get to i uh do you know what i uh there's a few really i don't quite know which one to pick i mean um well, let's have all the, of them i have all of them okay <laughs> well uh then i'd say the three places that I, I haven't been and i would love to go patagonia be the first one mm. uh just because um uh, uh, of the the 
how it looks, the be- the, the wildness of it, just how stunning it is, and um, and also it means I get to go to Argentina, so I'd be able to do the tango. So that's yep. that. Perfect. Then um, then Namibia would be the next place because I actually just got a text from a from a, a friend I made when I was I made a TV show in Cape Town about baboons, and we ran out of time. We couldn't. But he said, "Oh, you have to go to Namibia. It's just amazing. You know, it's this beautiful desert. This like you know, this lions on the beach." And I was like, "What? I, this I have to see." Yeah. And so, just that that's that image has been in my head ever since. So that's my next one. And the final one would be a little bit unusual, a bit off the beaten track. Would be the Kamchatka Peninsula, which is this long peninsula. It's a sort of, sort of finger of land that comes down right in the eastern part of russia sort of almost from siberia and it's um it was a sort of port it was a jumping off point for the um peter the great the Tsar of russia his uh expeditions across to um uh, alaska and uh there's a fantastic story of a, a german botanist called george stella who joined one of these and it's an amazing story of how he discovered alaska he was the first european to set foot there it's a great place of adventure but also it's a place of amazing um wildness extremely beautiful forests and rushing rivers and snow-capped mountains and also the home to the world's largest owl which is the Blakiston's fish owl, which of course, um, as you probably knew that, and, uh, <laughs> and because you're uh, into it, you're into birds. I love birds. birds you you yeah. see, I'm into my birds, and so I've, I've often, sometimes, knowing that there's a bird in a place will be a reason to go there. And so this, this, the that to me is good enough reason to go somewhere to see yeah. the world's largest owl. I mean, yeah. I would, yeah. I'd uh, dream you know, come I'd true. Beat a path to that place in a minute. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Bill Bailey. Those were your travel diaries. It has been an absolute joy to talk to you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I loved speaking to Bill. Bill Bailey's En Route to Normal tour kicks off in Plymouth on Sunday the 12th of December and runs through to mid-January. All the tickets and dates can be found at www.billbailey.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening today. If you are enjoying the podcast, then don't forget to hit subscribe or if you use Apple Podcasts to hit follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. And if you really enjoyed it, then if you fancy leaving a rating or a review, that would be extra special. If you want to find out who's joining me on next week's episode, come and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. Would love to hear from you as always. And if you can't wait till then, remember there's all of the first five seasons to catch up on. Nearly 70 episodes to keep you busy there and don't forget that all the destinations mentioned by my guests i always include in the episode show notes and they're also always on my website thetraveldiariespodcast.com thanks so much for listening and i'll be back next week
Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do? Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 